Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to the Beetlejuice Minute, where we discuss Tim Burton's Beetlejuice minute by minute. I'm your host, Julianne Fay, actress and owner of CinemaBliss.com, and my co-host today is Barry Rathbun. I am not an actress. I am more involved in the sound part of making movies. It's Friday, and we are doing minute number 49 this Friday. This is the minute where we discuss his qualifications while Beetlejuice uh, looks up Barbara's skirt. And uh, that tells you a little bit more what to expect in future minutes. But uh, for now, we're just going to focus on minute number 49. And uh, joining us today, uh, this week's guest, he has not run away from us yet. He is still here with us of his own free will, Mr. Christopher R. Mim, who is the writer, director, sometimes actor, all the time filmmaker of the Mimiverse movies, which you can find on SaintEuphoria.com. Hey, Chris. Welcome. I'm not here. I've run away. <laughs> oh. Well, crap. I told you to put the shackles on him. <laughs> Are you throwing your voice as well? Yes. Fun at parties. Dang Pull it. your friends. <laughs> oh, so we've been talking to Beetlejuice reincarnated for 2016. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. it. <laughs> Dang it. I told you. Ah. All right. We got to get those shackles tightened up for the next guest. <laughs> what kind of a show is this? <laughs> All right. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. We have hit the PG-13 <laughs> part of the movie. That's true, so it works. Pull out the shackles. <laughs> Minute 49 goes from PG to PG-13 hard. So I'd like to say that um, I'm going to uh, focus in on Keaton's unpredictability yeah. here. Uh, I know I touched on it a little bit in the last minute, but this is part of what makes him so fascinating to watch. And he gets really unpredictable when Barbara and Adam ask him about his job qualifications, <laughs> uh, because he starts in this husky voice, you know, the... He starts in his normal voice, really. <laughs> it's the do- well, it's the documentary voice, where he's like, I went to Juilliard, and I went to Harvard, and then blah, 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 and then he gets really crazy when he starts talking about The Exorcist and how it's, like, the best comedy ever. Um, and, well, he's uh, seen it 100, 167 times, and it just keeps getting funnier every time he sees it. it. Exactly. I was going to say, I wonder how many times Barbara's seen The Exorcist, considering Gina Davis is now on The Exorcist TV show playing a young, or playing a grown-up Reagan. But a big, nice tie in there. Nice to see she's still still out there working. Yes, yeah, she kind of disappeared for a while, too. Uh, she pulled a Keaton, see? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, she <laughs> was that time, an Olympic you know. archer. Did y'all know this? We do now. Thank you for that. <laughs> so I would just say she was just training for the next, you know, Olympic archery trials or something over the years. You know, it's, it's kind of funny if you think about it. We were, we were talking in, previous, in the previous episodes about how at that time uh, it was peak Keaton, right, when Michael Keaton was really sort of at the height of his popularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The same can kind of be said for Gina Davis, or at least she was entering that area where she was sort of in a lot of stuff. Uh, heading into the early 90s. She had done The Fly, yeah. Yeah, and then she, you know, and then Thelma and Louise and stuff like that, where she was in a lot of stuff, and then she also disappeared. However, and this is the funny thing, is this was, like, very beginning of, like, Alec Baldwin sort of, you know, being known as anybody. Uh, you know, he's much thinner. Uh, no offense to the guy, but he doesn't look the same now. I, I, it, it sometimes just 
he doesn't seem like he's the same person. He looks much more like one of his brothers yeah, uh, in Beetlejuice than he does now. Uh, you know, I shouldn't make fun of his weight because I'm a I'm a big guy myself, but still, he just looks so different now compared to how he did back then. But again, he was sort of a new face back then. I no one really necessarily knew who he was. At least I didn't. Mm-hmm. Also, but that's not he- saying a, a lot since I was twelve. <laughs> Also, I think he's uh, playing completely different types of roles these days, too. Because, like, in 30 Rock, he is, you know, uh, so authoritative. And then I saw him in um, the movie with Emma Stone in Hawaii. Aloha. That movie. Was it just called Aloha? Yeah, one of the two people who saw it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, where he's just yelling, like, you know, again, extreme authoritarian Kind of like William Shatner did for a while. He's basically made a career of playing himself, but as like a really blustery version of himself. Right. Well, perhaps. I mean, for a while, you know, he did Humphrey October in like the 90s, and he was kind of the same bespeckled, mild-mannered. He did The Shadow, where he was kind of the same. So, I mean, yeah. Do you think it was the the personal stuff he had with Kim Basinger and uh, just all the stuff that came out where it sort of painted him as maybe not the nicest guy, right. that he maybe used that to his advantage to be like, well, this is who I really am. I guess I can play characters that are maybe more like who I really am. Ah. Or at least the public's perception of who he is. Right. Right. Like It's like, once they heard him actually being a jerk uh, in real life, it was less of a stretch to see him in a show being a jerk. He was like, <laughs> oh yeah, he's actually like that. Or at least he was when all that stuff happened. Yes. I find it so interesting that, you know, actors always, well, not maybe not every actor, but it's kind of like a point of pride when you're like Meryl Streep and you can do a hundred different characters or whatever, which always kind of amazes me when some people typecast actors so readily, uh, like casting directors do, because uh, just recently I was watching an interview with Reese Witherspoon and she had done Election, where she plays a really, you know, dislikable character uh who's also a little bit nuts and uh and does it brilliantly but that's a a fantastic and dark movie and i love it yes oh it is oh especially now Mm, not saying anything else yeah (laughs) she said that she couldn't get a job for almost three years for anything uh because people really thought she was crazy and hard to work with and difficult and (laughs) everything (laughs) that character was uh so anyway I had another example, but I've forgotten it, so let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to the qualification scene, uh, the whole slow build-up with the gradual manicness creeping in, and the manicness really only creeps in when he talks about the Black Plague. That's when it really starts to kick in. Yes. But it's kind of interesting. I think they might have reused this uh, idea for Batman because the scene where Bruce Wayne is... Uh, the Joker's come into Bruce Wayne's or Vicky Vale's place and uh, Bruce is there and he kind of does the whole let me tell a story about a guy made mistakes really messed up a lot I mean because it starts with that slow normal and then it gets a little more crazy before it just goes totally off the wall insane doesn't he grab like a fire poker and you want to get nuts come on yep let's get nuts Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a moment of Beetlejuice in that line in particular. Well, I wonder, because, I mean, Burton, they were going to go right into Batman almost as soon as this was over, so I wonder if they kind of had that idea already, 
because uh, I know, and I'm sure you could speak to more of this, everyone was furious that Keaton was going to be Batman because... Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> and uh, And Tim Burton chose him because he is such a different, you know, he can bring that obsessiveness out, and it's it's kind of almost a shame that he didn't continue, because it would have been interesting to see where he would have taken the Bruce character. Yeah, but then when you see the the way the those those movies, the direction they went, I'm kind of glad he left uh, when Tim Burton did, yeah. uh, just because I always, I mean, I think it's it's kind of like the, uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, you know, once it hits three, it kind of starts falling off. Oh, even in the middle of three. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, you know, Superman one is great. Superman two is cheesy but good. Uh, three, it's like oh, okay, and then four is horrible. A dumpster that's fire. That's exactly like the Batman. That's right. That's exactly the Batman movies. Batman's great. Batman Returns is pretty good. Uh, Batman Forever, uh, okay. And then of course <laughs> Batman and Robin. You know, that's the less said about that, the better. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you know. There's something magical, magical. Magical. Excuse me. <laughs> We're actually recording this podcast kind of late at night. Um, magical. Magic. magic. About <laughs> the number three. Because as a screenwriter, you'll hear, like, if you're going to pay something off, you pay it off on the third moment. Uh, comedy writers, um, the joke is the funniest joke is always the third. When you pay it off the third time, mm-hmm. there's the old saying, good things come in threes. And um, even myself, when I'm looking for like a good series to read, I don't like to read books that I don't think are ever going to have an ending, like books <laughs> that have ten books. You know, I would have never made it through Game of Thrones as a book reader as soon as I realized that they were going to have four, five, six books. I, three is like the perfect number for me reading books. There is truly something magical about the number three. Well, I mean, you go with the whole trilogy idea. You know, you set up the world in the first one, blow it apart in the second one, and everything comes to a resolution as the third. I mean, that kind of... Although, I will I will freely admit that I think So Long and Thanks for All the Fish is a nice fourth entry in the Hitchhiker's Galaxy trilogy. Oh, true, oh. true. And Star Trek Four is a really good one. Right. And, of course... You know, Star Trek the motion picture is not. So I mean, it, it <laughs> depends on the. It depends on what we're talking about here. I Can just we I find say it that maybe the Star Trek trilogy really should have started with the second movie, and therefore Star Trek Four would be the third entry. Well, it actually really does. I mean, there's such a disconnect between the first one and the second one. It might as well be two separate series. Well, and see, two, there you go. Three, and four. three is magical. Well, and two, three, and four kind of are. You know, Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, Rathcon through, you know, um, Voyage Home, are all kind of one long story, because mm-hmm. they really, uh, you know, starts with Rathcon, uh, and then, of course, Search for Spock, and then they end up, you know, on their way back, you know, going, you know, back to Earth and the whole thing, and the loss of the Enterprise and, and all that stuff. Uh, so that is kind of a, I mean, the motion picture is whatever the hell it is, uh, <laughs> but those three really do constitute their own you know, self-contained trilogy. If you really only need to watch three of the original series Star Trek movies, those are the three to watch in order. And six. Oh, yeah, but I mean, it's like, those are, but five and six are self-contained stories. Yes. Just like one. Two, three, and four, actually, they're, you know, they're they're linked right. um, t- together and, you know, in a good way. You're just proving my theory. Three, the number three is magical. Well, it's all over this movie, too. <laughs> That it is, and um, bringing it back to Beetlejuice, and bringing it back to a former minute when we were talking about how um, 
using your own imagination uh, draws people into the story more. It's more of an active participation. I love that Tim Burton's choice when Adam and Barbara ask Beetlejuice to, you know, can you be scary? I love that his choice is to show Beetlejuice being scary from behind. And we see how terrified it makes Adam and Barbara, which, you know, makes us go, oh, my God, what did he really do? What did he really do? And use our own imaginations to terrify ourselves. Well, it's funny you say that because they actually did build a prop head that was going to, you know, that opened up and had all the crazy, weird things coming out of it. But again, horror is always scarier in your imagination. Well, and I've always, I always thought that was one of the, that is one of the coolest things in that scene, honestly, and in the movie. You only see, you know, something crazy happens, but you don't see it. And then you see their reactions, and their reactions are so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, Alec Baldwin just sort of, he's shaking, and it's like, what was it? What did they see? And I've always thought that was just, and it's so quick. And even the sound where it's just like, Wah! and that's it. It's really quick little thing. And that part there, and like you said, Julie, with the, you know, filling in the blanks, I, I love that, that it's, it's, it's so, it's part of one of the coolest things about the movie is that, you know, it's, it's, that moment really, it's, it's, it's pure genius, it's brilliance is what it is. <laughs> preach it, preach it. <laughs> you know, you know your job for the screenshot of this minute now, right? Oh yeah, I, I already, I already got that right there. Well, it's funny because you can see like it looks like spider legs and claws coming off it. I'm paused it right now and looking at it, and there's like I think it looks like a little bit like intestines too and worms. Yeah, there's a bunch of things in there. Um, but the the thing he says right before it when he was like, "Oh, you want to see something scary?" That is when it really tips into PG-13 because obviously right. this isn't in the script. But he gives a little gesture. A little gesture? He seems to be very proud of his gesture. (laughs) Yes, that's what we're calling it now. But yeah, he he very much does a... uh, I don't think this was scripted. Well, and I... It's a nice little moment in just showing Beetlejuice's attitude, right? Of of he's just like, oh, good lord, I'm dealing with, you know, I'm dealing with uh, simpletons here, you know? Yeah, it's just like, all right. Um, Oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. It's simple. It's almost like Oh, so I can do all these things and you just want me to be scary. All right. Uh, you guys are nice and innocent and I'm going to ruin that. How about this? You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's sort of the, it, it illustrates a difference between the sort of upstanding, nice, you know, small town, honest people that, you know, are the Maitlands. Uh, and then you got the, the crazy, deranged, um, used car salesman with way too much confidence who's just like, oh. Oh, that's what you want. Okay, well, all right. Do you think he tipped? Do you think he he did? He purposely made it a little bit more over the top, uh, because they were all like, "Well, what can you do?" I think so. I think they probably did. I think that it's it's a broad comedy moment where it's just like, "Oh, okay," ha, and it's like a dirty joke, uh, but not. It's still one of those things that, as a kid, maybe you wouldn't necessarily understand what it meant, but once you reach a certain age, you're like, ha, "I get it." You know what I mean? Because it's yes. not—it's blatant, but it's not—it's so, not so blatant that everybody necessarily knows that when you're little. And right. if you do, you—you you probably have bad parents. Well, I have a—I have a <laughs> feeling that that this is going to come up a lot as we go into more Beetlejuicing and a lot of the stuff he says. It's like, oh, I didn't really get that. Oh, now I get it. 
exactly. Oh, you know, I watched Grease. I watched the edited version of Grease so many times on TV, and then later on, I saw the unedited, and I was like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> it, it seems innocent on its face, but it's not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Uh, bringing us to like more ogling, um, this is, I, I don't know what made me think of this, but Beetlejuice's ogling Barbara, you know, when he lifts up her skirt a little bit with the stick. And I, I kept thinking, she's wearing a Sunday school dress. She's wearing white tights with white shoes. I can't help but imagine she's wearing maybe floral, maybe not granny panties, but floral panties that match the dress. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, Beetlejuice, interesting taste you have. <laughs> <laughs> you know how your mom always says you must wear clean underwear when, um, you know, in case you're ever in a car wreck? Yeah. yeah. Every mom says that, right? Do your clothes in general stay clean for the 125 years you're in purgatory? Now, Beetlejuice is clearly past the purgatory stage because he's not clean at all and he's, you know, he's gone past to, to the other side. But... Have you noticed that supposedly after three or four months that they're still pristinely clean? Well, um, I, I, yeah, ghost dust maybe. Ghost dust. Just, just the, just the Saturn, just Saturn sand. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Because Barbara said she was turning yellow in one of the minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and Beetlejuice notices that. Hey, you've been to Saturn, you know, and he notices because there's sort of that yellowish dust on her dress. Yep, yep. Oh, precisely. Oh, you know, I'm just so unobservant. Just just edit this part out there. Well, no. <laughs> no, we don't need this. This is good stuff. <laughs> so, Christopher. Yes. Do you remember the first time you saw Beetlejuice? Yes, uh, very well, in fact. Uh, I grew up in uh, southwestern Minneapolis, and back in the day, and this is the 80s here when Beetlejuice came out, uh, there was a movie theater not that far from my house that uh, you could you could ride your bike to, shall we say. Uh, and it was an old dollar theater. You know, it used to be a single screen, uh, theater that eventually just got kind of run down in the seventies and eighties. And in the mid eighties, they turned it into a dollar theater, which there aren't too many of those around anymore. It's simply because movies don't last in the theater long enough to get to the dollar point, as it were. Uh, but back in the day, you know, they had the full first run stuff and they had the second run theaters before it would then, say, go to VHS, you know, six months to a year after it was released in theaters, whereas now they release movies and three months later it's on Blu-ray. So there's this dollar theater called The Boulevard that uh, a buddy of mine, a local friend of mine, a neighborhood friend of mine, we would ride our bikes to go see movies just during the summer. And this would be 1988, so I'm about 12 years old, uh, and Beetlejuice, uh, you know, was at the second run dollar theater, so it's summer maybe even heading into fall. And uh, so we, we rode our bikes down there just to see whatever was there. And we're like, I don't know what Beetlejuice is, but it looks kind of cool, so let's go see it. So I went and saw it, and um, we sat through it. And I remember just being, I, I think this was probably the first time I'd actually seen even a Tim Burton movie, because uh, I really hadn't seen uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, just because, honestly, at that time, I, I thought Pee-wee Herman was annoying. Whereas I like it now, but back then I was just like, this is annoying. So I saw it and I, I was instantly enamored by it. I was very much loved every, inst- you know, every little piece of it, the, the, the way it looked, the way it felt. And, and, you know, I was kind of raised on, on cheesy old movies, uh, with my dad. And that's one of the big reasons I make them now 
And so it felt kind of like that because, you know, again, we've talked about Tim Burton and Ed Wood and, and sort of that era of film and, and Tim Burton's obvious love for it. So it felt weirdly familiar, but also kind of kooky in a way that, uh, you know, I think the 12 year old, uh, me probably kind of looked at the world as a little kooky and, and weird because I'm kind of kooky and weird, I suppose. Uh, but I felt, or strange I felt and unusual. Strange and unusual, right? I felt very much a, a part of that and I really liked that. And I'll admit, at the time being 12, you know, going on 13, I think Winona Ryder in that movie is my first movie crush. There, there was something about just, I, I know she's got the goth thing going on and that just, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of had a huge, huge crush on Winona Ryder, uh, because of that movie. And, you know, she's not much older than I am. So, I mean, it was like, you know, it was kind of a thing. But then also just the little parts of it, uh, with, you know, the model and just everything about it really hit me. The coolest thing is that my friend and I, after seeing that, as we're riding our bikes back home, we're like, we should make a model. Let's make like a model landscape just for fun. And we did. Aww. Do you have pictures of it? I, you know, they're somewhere. I don't know what the hell, where it ended up. I'm sure, if anything, it was probably eaten by mice in my garage at some point. No. Um, just because, you know, it was paper mache and mice shred paper. And, you know, you, once it starts getting cold, sometimes you get mice in the garage because they're coming in out of the cold. So we, we spent like, um, I don't know, a good year just building this model and adding on to it. And, and we didn't have a lot of money in our allowance. So we, we, you know, would build, uh, we, we started by just building sort of a, a landscape in, you know, whatever. And we'd go to the hobby store and we'd have a little money to buy, you know, just the, the, the fake graph stuff to add some texture. Uh, and eventually we would build all these other things and, and it was just, it was kind of a, it was, it was a fun thing that we did for a couple of years where we, until I, you know, wow. discovered, you know, truly discovered girls and started playing drums in a band. And then of course that sort of fell by the wayside, but, <laughs> but that model was, was, was a creative outlet for a couple of years and it was all based off of Beetlejuice. And since that I've used some of the, the techniques that I learned building that model for some of my films, because we try to do, we do all practical effects whenever possible, um, because we're aping those old films and you really can't do CGI and make it look authentic. So there's like a model of a, a moon base and some, you know, um, a, a mountain range on, on the moon that's at the beginning of, of a Attack of the Moon Zombies that I built, uh, using again that knowledge of, of, uh, what I learned working on that model back when I was a kid. Isn't it interesting how our lives sometimes, uh, we don't know how, how anything's going to end up, but we end up discovering things that you learned back in the day and it starts to, to tie into our, our life's passion or our life's work, maybe. Yeah, definitely. After all, I think Steve Jobs took calligraphy and that had something to do with the reason why the, the fonts on the first Apple computers were easier to read than the other fonts on other computers. But when he took calligraphy, he didn't know he was going to invent a computer. Right. You mean a computer? Computer. 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 <laughs> so, um, it is Friday, and we love uh, letting our guests tell us some, you know, exciting things going on in their world. So, Christopher, tell us what's going on in the Mimiverse these days. Well, uh, a couple months ago now, I just released my 11th film, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Uh, Ooh, congratulations. Been, thank you. Um, it has been playing all over the place. It's been doing very well. 
uh, people seem to like it. Lots Being of things from going Louisiana, on. Louisiana, um, we're especially interested in where skeetos because it could happen down here. It in could the happen, <laughs> and that's the thing. I've seen some that size. Well, and and the thing is, is that um, Louisiana is obviously known for mosquitoes, right? I mean, there's there's within the Louisianian culture. <laughs> as it were. You know, mosquitoes are, like I said, swamps. You got a lot of them. Surprisingly, up here in Minnesota, we get them really bad in the summers uh, because there's a lot of standing water. So lots of places for mosquitoes to breed. Oh, yes. We don't quite get the Jurassic Zika type, but you get instead the, the tiny, like, clouds of them that just eat you alive from about, you know, 8 p.m. to about 11 p.m. every night. Uh, Do they hunt Nazis? Uh, not that I know of, um, but, you know, who knows? Illinois Nazis, maybe? maybe potentially, yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter is the, the most recent release, uh, and people can find out about all my movies at the government website at sainteuphoria.com. You put a link, but if, if you just if you are listening to this and you want to go right now while you listen, uh, if you go to thegiantspider.com, it'll take you where you need to go. And from there, you can learn about all my films. You can buy them. You can buy other cool merchandise. We have a, a holiday thing right now where we have these cool little um, handmade uh, tree ornaments uh, of the Monster Phantom Lake. That was my first film. It's the 10th anniversary of the release of that this year. So we've been doing a lot of stuff with that. We just released. We did a we did a the Monster Phantom Lake the musical uh, stage version, which uh, you two were actually. Awesome enough to come up and see. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, we did. We made the yeah. trip to Minnesota. And, I mean, come on, guys. 1950s drive-in monster movie musical. It was awesome. Well, and we have soundtracks available. And I'm actually working. I filmed all the performances. And I'm in the process of editing together a DVD of them. Uh, it's proving to be a lot more difficult than I thought it'd be. If only because, uh, being that it's theater... It's never quite the same from night to night. So finding edit points that actually make sense is proving to be a large challenge. But in the end, it's going to be a great representation of the play. And, I mean, it's just fun. It's funny, and it's the songs are catchy as heck. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't write uh, – I only wrote two of the songs, and they actually featured in, in my films. And then uh, another guy named Adam Bull took it, and he's, he's a really, really talented composer and lyricist who really took the spirit of the movie, which I adapted to the, to the stage, and he took the spirit of that and created some amazing music that uh, I still find myself randomly singing. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. So tell us about your new movie. Um, can some of our listeners maybe get their names mentioned in your yes, movie? Yes, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, yeah, so I released Wereskino Nazi Hunter and I, I, on Halloween released the title uh, and a little teaser for my next film called Demon with the Atomic Brain, which uh, people can contribute to to help get it made. Uh, a little crowdfunding going on here. And all you have to do is go to, you can either, you can go to sayeuphoria.com and, and if you look under the, the um, merchandise uh, drop-down menu, there's one that says, you know, help us make a movie. If you go there, you can contribute get your name in the credits, you get a copy of the movie when it's done, you get a cool frameable certificate that says you did it, and you can even pre-order tickets to the world premiere, which uh, we hold every year. So, I mean, there's there's stuff that can, can be done. 
Uh, otherwise, if you go to demonwiththeatomicbrain.com, that'll take you there, too. Uh, I'm currently in the scripting phase. I've got about 65 pages done, so I'm about 10 or 15 pages away from being done. Ooh, wow. Uh, and it's definitely going to be one of the more fun films I've ever made because my goal in this particular script is just, it's, it's a sci-fi action movie, basically, or at least my version of a sci-fi 1950s-style B-movie action movie. Uh, it's really fun, and it's funny, and we're really going to try and throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Sounds great. Didn't Wasn't uh, a little tiny movie made in the 70s called Star Wars kind of a, a fun sci-fi action movie? I believe so. And in fact, there's Ooh. a lot of this. You know, the, the premise of it is basically there's a, 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 a scientific accident which creates um, a rift in space-time which uh, uh, an ever-expanding rift in space-time. Within that rift exists all these little slices of alternate realities. And you have a team of scientists and, and military folks that have to fight through all these alternate realities to get to the computing machine to shut it down <laughs> before it destroys the universe. Oh. Ah, the old computer. The computer, yes. Yes, everyone uh, you know, in, in Christopher's film says computer instead of computer. Computer. I did that because, uh, and this is just a, a random aside, uh, I did that because if you watch a lot of movies from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, there were certain words that were just kind of said differently because they hadn't necessarily entered the general lexicon yet. Uh, like robot, which we, you know, put the emphasis on bot, uh, whereas back then it was robot, right? <laughs> put, the, put the emphasis on the row, robot. I didn't and, even know and, that. Yeah, so there's these little things like that where they would just say things kind of differently. And so I always jokingly uh, would say computer just because it's funny to say instead of comp you know computer, but say computer. And so I made my actors start saying that uh, as, a, as a nod to, you know, the 50s way of saying things differently. And it's just kind of stuck. It's become a saying. Now it's anytime it's computer or computing as opposed to computing or com computer. See, it's even hard for me to just say it normal. For me, it's now it's computer, dang it. Maybe we can get that in the general lexicon and that'll be where it comes from. So that's what's going on. There's a lot of stuff. Like I said, you can go to my website and you can find out. You can order all the movies. You can order You can order them, on, order them uh, DVDs, but then also uh, some Blu-rays off my website. If you go to Amazon, you can order the Blu- uh, you can order the DVDs. You can watch them uh, on Amazon Prime On Demand uh, or download them on Amazon Prime On Demand. So there are a lot of choices and ways to see my films. Also, uh, if you're an Esperantist and you know what Esperanto is, uh, several of my movies have been translated into Esperanto. And Esperanto language tracks and subtitle tracks are available on several of my films. And weirdly, I, I hold an actual world record for being... Uh, having released more movies in Esperanto than any other filmmaker uh, ever. Ooh. Hey, we need to uh, edit in some uh, clapping and cheering there, Barry. <laughs> I'm also the first person to release a movie with an Esperanto language track in the movie itself is in 3D, and that was the 3D re-release of The Monster of Phantom Lake that we released this year. Uh, and the funny thing is, is I don't speak Esperanto. <laughs> That's some irony for you. I I tried, but I just I can't pick it up. I'm noticing a thing with the whole monster of Phantom Lake. It was your first movie. It's been turned into a musical. It has now been turned into a 3D movie, 
And it's now being turned into, it's a, I guess, kind of like an action figure. It's the Christmas ornament of the year. So give that one some love. If, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, uh, the Monster of Phantom Lake is one of my favorites, along with Moon Zombies and, oh, I don't know, the Giant Spider and Danny <laughs> Johnson. Okay, just check them all out. Just, just my- miss my- <laughs> check them all out. And they're all available right now. And we got a, we got some cool deals, you know, where we Attack of the Moon Zombies is actually available now on a dual disc with another film called Terror from Beneath the Earth. Uh, so you get more for your buck. Hey, hey. A good thing. and if you want your name in the credits, uh, check that out as well. Uh, for the demon with the atomic brain. Did I say that correctly? Yep. You did. Excellent. All right. <laughs> well, folks, it has been a really fun week over here on the Beetlejuice Minute. I hope you guys have had as much fun as we have. And, uh, now, uh I gotta do one more thing here. Um, oh, sure. People may, may not be aware, um, that first off, one of my things as me as a person is that I always say, hey, one more thing. So that worked. Um, <laughs> you know, in addition to my films, one of the things that's also done is that the, I am the host of the Memoverse Monthly Audio Cast, which is a podcast where I just talk about how awesome I am. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I just talk about the movies and what's going on, and, and, and then I go off on tangents uh, and then do other stuff. Uh, like, you know, read stories and, and other cool things. I'm also, uh, there's another podcast called the Memoverse Bonfire Podcast. I'm sort of one of the co-hosts. So, no, I'm also, there's a, there's another podcast. So there's a lot of stuff around the movies. And that's it for Friday's Minute. Um, we've really had a lot of fun this week, I have to say. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Christopher. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Barry and I will we'll, uh, see you guys next week uh, for Minute 50 on the Beetlejuice Minute. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a good weekend. Bye. Until next time, save us some popcorn, and we'll see you soon at the Beetlejuice Minute.